for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. At the height of my utter rebellion against God, when I had determined that I would rather die than surrender, the Lord spoke these words to me audibly, even as I'm speaking with you. He said to me, Unexpectedly, he said to me, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And he said those words with attitude. And I backed right down. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the last part of verse 19 and 20. I want to share with you tonight a story that many of you have already read, but I trust that your heart is similar to mine. I don't catch it all in the first 10 times through. It requires over and over hearing the story meditating, and asking God to do his work in my heart. And so I'm going to share with you tonight the story of Reese Howells as the Holy Spirit takes possession of his life. Now you recall he had gone to Pennsylvania from Wales because he heard you could make more money in America than you could make in the tin mines in Wales. America was the land of opportunity, and he wanted money. That was the whole deal. He was, a, he was already a religious man. He considered himself a Christian man. But in truth, he was not a Christian man. He was a pagan spray-painted with Jesus. And while in America, he saw a testimony of a Jewish man who actually lived the scripture. And the Holy Spirit asked him, is that example enough for you to finally decide to follow me? And he backed down and said, yes, it's enough. And he began to follow after Jesus. And he began to say to the Lord, all of my life belongs to you. I belong to you, Jesus never expecting that Jesus would collect on what he was offering. It's a real easy thing to say, Jesus, I belong to you, as long as you don't try to collect it. The problem comes when Jesus says, okay, if you're mine, thank you, I'll take you. We want to say, Jesus, if you're going to take me, make me great. And Jesus, in my life, has had to take my life and say, I want your life, Ray. I'm going to collect it, and I'm going to lay it on the shelf. You're not fit for service. You need to lay on the shelf. I want to take away all the outside evidences that you have any skill or any strength. I'm simply isolating you. In my vernacular, as a parent, that's called time out. I've been in time out for years. 
Sometimes I say to the Lord, isn't it about time I get out of my room? I mean, I'm even having my meals served in my room. That's serious time out. At least he gave me a bed in my room. I thank you for his mercy. And so Reese returns to Wales, and there the Holy Spirit leads him to not go to the tin mine, but to go to the coal mine, and there to work on the face of the coal mine, the most difficult job he could possibly have, the most physically demanding and the dirtiest job possible. And then in his spare time, he worked with the Welsh Revival. We're talking about 1904. He decided with some of his friends in the revival to go to a revival series, to a a deepening of the scriptural understanding, a teaching meeting. This was in 1906. They were going to take their summer holiday and go to this special uh, convention. Well, shortly before they were due to go, Reese was in a meeting, and a young woman began to read Romans 8, 26 through 30. Now, she could only read very slowly, which gave time for each word to sink in. Predestined. Justified. Glorified. As Reese listened, he said to himself, I know I am predestined according to the foreknowledge of God and justified, but am I glorified? That puzzled him, and the question was constantly in his mind. What does it mean to be glorified? Two days later in the train on the way to this meeting, a voice spoke to him and said, When you return, you will be a new man. But I am a new man, he protested. No, came the answer, you are a child. You are a child. The others were singing the newest songs of the revival, the glory song. Reese never heard it. Instead, he kept pacing the corridor with that voice ringing in his ears, you will be a new man. On the first morning of the convention, the preacher spoke on Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. You hath he quickened and hath raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He pointed out that if the risen Lord who had appeared to the disciples after the resurrection But when the Holy Ghost came down, he revealed the exalted Savior at the right hand of the Father. Mr. Hopkins then asked the question, have you been quickened by Christ? Have you been raised up to sit with him in heavenly places? And in his heart, Reese answered, yes, I know I've been quickened, but I have not been raised up with Christ to that place of power. And the moment he said that, he saw the glorified Lord. As really as I had seen the crucified Christ and the risen Christ, I saw the glorified Christ, 
And the same voice I had heard in the train said to me, Would you like to sit there with him? There is a place for you. I saw myself raised up with him. I knew now what it meant to be glorified. I saw him as John did in Patmos, and I was dazzled like the Apostle Paul. When he reveals a thing, it is exactly as it is. It is not imagination. Some of you have wondered if you were losing your mind. Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and you've said to yourself, surely that cannot be the Holy Spirit. I'm going crazy. It's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking and he's calling. All that night I was in the presence of God and my glorified Savior. There is nothing in nature refined enough to describe it. I saw men walking as trees walking. The next morning, Mr. Hopkins spoke about the Holy Spirit. He made it plain that he is a person with all the faculties of a person, exactly like the Savior. He has intelligence, love, and a will of his own. And as a person, before he comes to live in a man, he must be given full possession of his body. As he spoke, Reese said, the Holy Ghost appeared to me, and I knew him to be the one who had spoken to me the day before and shown me that place of splendor and glory into which natural eyes can never look. It never dawned on me before that the Holy Ghost was a person exactly like the Savior and that he must come and dwell in flesh and blood. In fact, the church knows more about the Savior, who was only on the earth 33 years, than about the Holy Ghost, who's been here for 2,000 years. I had only thought of him as an influence coming on meetings. And that was what most of us in the revival thought. I'd never seen that he must live in bodies as the Savior lived in his on earth. The meeting with the Holy Ghost was just as real to Reese Howells as his meeting with the Savior those years before. I saw him as a person apart from flesh and blood, and he said to me, as the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. As the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. And I am come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple. 1 Corinthians 6.19 But it must belong to me without reserve, for two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? Romans 12.1 But if I come in, I come as God, and you must go out. 
I shall not mix myself with yourself. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. He made it very plain that he would never share my life. I saw the honor he gave me in offering to indwell me, but there were many things very dear to me, and I knew he wouldn't keep one of them. The change he would make was very clear. He meant every bit of my fallen nature was to go to the cross, and he would bring in his own life and his own nature. It was unconditional surrender. From the meeting, Reese went out into the field where he cried his heart out because, as he said, I had received a sentence of death as really as a prisoner in the dock. I had lived in my body for 26 years, and could I easily give it up? Who could give his life up for another in an hour? Why does a man struggle when death comes if it is easy to die? I knew that the only place fit for the old nature was on the cross. Paul makes that quite plain in Romans 6. But once this is done in reality, it is done forever. I could not run into this. I intended to do it, but all the cost, I wept for days. I lost seven pounds in weight just because I saw what he was offering me. How I wished I'd never seen it. Any of you feel anything similar? Like you wish you had been allowed to just live a normal Christian life and not ever come to the National Prayer Chapel? Where, the, where it's just laid down by the Spirit of God and he says, I want you. I want you to move out because I'm moving in. And I think part of why God has had some of us moving so much is so what we know what it means to move out. Boy, it's painful to move out. To go back through and get the last boxes and the last junk, and you think you've gotten it all out, and then you find a closet that everybody's just mysteriously bypassed. And you pull everything out, and everything's been cleaned up, but the whole closet is marred with all of these marks and stuff, and more stuff. It seems like when you're moving out, stuff multiplies. It's like the loaves and the fishes. There's enough for 5,000 people to supply their houses. You see, the fondest hope of, of my heart has been that Jesus would come in and share my life with me. I mean, Jan came and shared my life. She became my wife. She took my name. She's my helpmate. Why couldn't God do that with me? Why couldn't God come and change his name? Why couldn't he come and be my helpmate? Enhance me, make me better. Right, so that I'd be all I could be. 
I'd be the best of Ray. Lord's not interested. He says, move out, Ray. I hope you see that this is really what is facing every one of us. The Lord is saying, move out of your life. Are you willing to move out so I can move in? I always thought I got to move halfway out and he'd move halfway in. And then we'd negotiate as the move continued. I mean, after all, hey, this is me we're talking about. This is you we're talking about. That's all you've known is you. To ask you to move out is a little unreasonable. Vacate the premises, he says. And I'll move in. Oh, how I wish I'd never seen it. One thing he reminded of was that he had only come to take what I'd already promised the Savior. Not in part, but the whole. You already gave it, so why don't you just keep your word and and give it all? That's what you said you'd do. Since he died for me, I had died in him, and I knew that the new life was his and not mine. That had been clear in my mind for three years. Has that been clear in your mind? That the new life you have in you belongs to Jesus. Doesn't belong to you, it belongs to him. The victories you've had over sin, those are the victories of Jesus in you. Those victories were not gained by hard work. They were gained by the power of the Spirit. They are his works of goodness, not your works or my works of goodness. He had only come now to take what was his own. I saw that only the Holy Ghost in me could live like the Savior. Everything he told me appealed to me. It was only a question of the loss there would be in doing it. I didn't give my answer in a moment, and he didn't want me to give my answer in a moment. It took five days to make the decision. Oh, how I wish we could make it in five days. Some of us have been 15 years. I pray God puts a deadline on it for us as he did for Reese Howells. Like Isaiah, I saw the holiness of God, and he said, and seeing him, I saw my own corrupt nature. It wasn't the sins that I saw, but the nature touched by the fall. I was corrupt to the core. I knew I had to be cleansed. I saw there was as much difference between the Holy Ghost and myself as between light and darkness. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through for the next week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my nature, which was self. And you can only get out of a thing what is in its root. Sin was canceled. And it wasn't sin he was dealing with, it was self. That thing which came from the fall. 
He was not going to take any superficial surrender. He put his finger on each part of my self-life, and I had to decide in cold blood. He could never take a thing away until I gave my consent. Then the moment I gave it, some purging took place. Isaiah 6, 5 through 7. And I could never touch that thing again. It was not saying I was purged and the thing still had a hold on me. No, it was a breaking and the Holy Ghost taking control. Day by day, the dealing went on. He was coming in as God and I lived as a man. And what is permissible to an ordinary man, he told me, was no longer permissible for me. This was the crisis. The Holy Spirit was dealing with me on the basis of surrender. Step by step, replacing the self-nature with his own divine nature. First, there was the love of money, that root of evil which had formerly taken Reese to America. The Lord told him that he would take out of his nature all taste for money and any ambition for the ownership of money. I had to consider what that meant. Money would be no more to me than it was to John the Baptist or to the Savior. To an extent, this was dealt with in my new birth, but now the Holy Ghost was getting at the root. The dealings on that lasted a whole day, and by the evening, he said his attitude toward money had entirely changed. Then there was the fact that he would never have the right to, to a choice in making a home. I saw I could never give my life to another person, to live to that one alone. Could the Savior have given his life and attention to one person instead of to a lost world? Neither could the Holy Ghost. He took plenty of time to show me exactly what it would mean the life he would live would be lived not for the world, for sin, but for the world, for righteousness. Was I willing for that? Among other things that were dealt with was ambition. How could he have any if the Holy Ghost came in? The way the Lord showed it to him was like this. Supposing he had a mission in a town and another mission opened in the same place. If there was jealousy between the two and it was better for the town only to have one, then it would be his which should have to go. Or suppose that he and another man should apply for the same job. He would have to let the other have it. Or if he was earning 12 shillings a day and another man with a family was earning much less, the Spirit would tell him to give his job to that man. He saw the Holy Ghost in ways like that, taking the place of the other and suffering instead of him. Yes, he was willing for that. On the fifth day, his reputation was touched. As he was thinking of the men who were full of the Holy Ghost, and particularly John the Baptist, the Lord said to him, then I may live through you the life I lived through him. A Nazarite clothed in camel's hair living in a desert. 
even in this or what might be its modern equivalent, a real decision had to be made. If I live my life in you, and that is the kind of life I choose, you can't stop me, was the Lord's word on it. As the Savior was despised, he must be willing to be the same. By Friday night, each point had been faced. He knew exactly what he was offered, the choice between temporal and eternal gain. The Spirit summed the issue up for him. On no account will I allow you to cherish a single thought of self, and the life I will live in you will be 100% for others. You will never be able to save yourself any more than the Savior could when he was on the earth. Now, are you willing? And Reese was to give his final answer. That night, a friend said to him, if some of us come over after the meeting, will you tell us of your position in Christ? At once, the Spirit challenged him. How can you do that? You have seen the position of the overcomers, but you have not entered in. I've been dealing with you for five days. You must give me your decision by six o'clock tonight. And remember, your will must go. On no account will I allow you to bring in a cross current. Where I send you, you will go. What I say to you, you will do. It was the final battle of the will. I asked him for more time, but he said, you will not have a minute after six o'clock. When I heard that, it was exactly as if a wild beast was roused in me. You gave me free will, I answered, and now you force me to give it up. I do not force you, he replied. But for three years, have you not been saying that you are not your own? and that you wanted to give your life back to the Savior as completely as he gave his for you. I climbed down in a second. The way I said that, it was an insult to the Trinity. I'm sorry, I told him. I didn't mean what I said. You are not forced to give up your will, he said, but at six o'clock I will have your decision. After that, you will never get another chance. It was my last offer. My last chance. I saw that throne and all my future for eternity going. I said, please forgive me. I want to do it. Once more, the question came. Are you willing? It's 10 minutes to six. I wanted to do it, but I could not. Your mind is keen when you are tested, and in a flash it came to me. How can self be willing to give up self? Five to six. I was afraid of those last five minutes. I could count the ticks of the clock. Then the Spirit spoke again. 
If you can't be willing, would you like me to help you? Are you willing to be made willing? Take care, the enemy whispered, when a stronger person than yourself is on the other side, to be willing to be made willing is just the same as to be willing. As I was thinking upon that point, I looked at the clock. It was one minute to six. I bowed my head and said, Lord, I'm willing. Within an hour, the third person of the Godhead could come in. He gave Reese that word in Hebrews 10:19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Immediately, said Reese, I was transported into another realm within that sacred veil where the Father, the Savior, and the Holy Ghost live. There I heard God speaking to me, and I have lived there ever since. When the Holy Ghost enters, he comes to abide forever. To the blood be the glory. How I adored the grace of God. It is God who goes so far as to give us repentance. It was God who helped me to give up my will. There were some things he'd ask for during the week that I was able to give because I was the master of them. But when he asked me to give up myself and my will, I found I could not until he pulled me through. An eyewitness tells us that no words can describe the little meeting in the house that night. The glory of God came down, restarted the chorus, there's power in the blood, and they couldn't stop singing it for two hours. <laughs> then from 9 p.m. to 2.30 a.m., it was nothing but the Holy Ghost speaking things I'd never dreamed of and exalting the Savior. When he awoke the next morning, he said, I realized that the Holy Ghost had come in to abide forever. The feeling I had was that he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. It is impossible to describe the floods of joy that followed. Reese Howells was not a person who was given to public speaking. He was naturally quiet and retiring. But when the Holy Ghost entered, he loosed his tongue and brought his own boldness in. There was a praise meeting that morning in the convention tent with about a thousand present, including some 200 ministers. The first person Reese saw there was his own minister, and if anything could have stopped him speaking, it was the fact of his presence. But during the meeting, Reese stood up and told them clearly and calmly that he was calling them to be witnesses that the Holy Ghost, who had entered the apostles on the day of Pentecost, had entered him and would produce similar results. The effect was so great that during the next week, when crowds had gathered to hear the messages from a famous speaker, literally hundreds came to ask Reese how the Holy Ghost had entered him. It was the first stream of those promised rivers, which, as Jesus said, flow out of those in whom the Spirit dwells. Jesus has asked by his Spirit to move into this house. 
And he's asked us if we're willing to move out. I've seen this happen one-on-one. I've never seen it happen with a whole body. But that's what he's asking. The Lord has commissioned us as a chapel. Not as a church. There's a difference. The church is his body. A chapel is a humble little room in the palace of the king where the coat takers reside. Servants. He's not called us to be somebody. He's called us to move out and let the Holy Spirit come in so that he can serve through us. So he can serve each of us. We serve each other. And we can serve this city of Washington, D.C. We can serve our families. The Holy Spirit in us, Ray Greenlee is not going to serve on his own will. I want to be served. I want to cop an attitude. I want to say, look what I've done. Isn't it time for me to get my sugar break? And when do I get mine? The Holy Spirit is saying, move out. I'm not going to mix myself with you. Move the dishonesty out. Move the craftiness out. Move the pride out. Move the reputation out. Move the hiddenness out. Move the personal agendas out. Move out the wanting to do something great for God. Holy Spirit wants to come in to serve. To serve his body, to serve his church. Well, we're a part of his church, but we've been designated servants, not somebody's. Tonight, you know where you're at in the process of moving out. Some of you may have only a closet left, some of you have the garage left. Some of you have got most of the house left. Holy Spirit is saying, we just move it all out. The attitude, the hiddenness, the selfishness, the self-will, will you just move it out? The dishonesty, move it out. Jesus wants to come in in the Holy Spirit. And this final moving out is not something you and I can do on our own. All we can say is, Jesus, I'm willing to be made willing. All we can cry out to the Lord is, I'm willing, O Lord Jesus, to give myself to you as fully as you gave yourself for me. The Holy Spirit's going to say, All right. 
I'll take you up on your word. I'll do what you've asked. I know what discouragement is. I know it's an excuse to stay in my house. I know what depression is. It's an excuse to stay in my house. I know what a bad attitude is. It's an excuse to stay in my house. I've used them all. Are you willing to be made willing? Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to set a clock on us. I ask that we have no more time to move out by the car load or the paper bag load. Lord, I just ask that you pull us through and do this. Lord, let us not do it unconsciously, but make us conscious of each step so that we, in fact, will not ever desire to go back. Lord, I know soon that this house is going to be absolutely jam-packed with men and women coming, weeping for their sins, repenting of their wicked hearts. And you want a people filled with the Holy Spirit to take their coats and to minister to them. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, His glory.